You're listening to Living Cities Forum podcast. This podcast comes as part of our 2022 forum, where we discuss material flows, a theme that examines the global material flows that underwrite our growing built environments. For more, visit livingcitiesforum.org or subscribe to the Amphibian podcast. As you just heard, normally, yes, I get to do a welcome to country, and that's usually the only 15 minutes of fame that I get. But it's always interested me that when I do welcome people onto country, is there anything I can learn from them? And is there anything that they can learn from me? And so I am very pleased to be asked to stay in the room and try and set the tone a bit about what it means today as we understand waste, understand climate, to understand material flows. Most people don't think of looking at an Aboriginal person, would they have any knowledge about that? Now you just heard a little bit of my bio, for we go right back to my childhood, is that I was told don't tell anybody you're Aboriginal. Go to school, get a trade, get married, have children, buy a house. And I did that. Did all of those things, and I was proud to do them. But I never forgot that I am an Aboriginal. I felt for many years that I was a refugee in my own country. And as I adapted to the modern ways of life, I started to call myself an urbanised Aboriginal. My culture was not all that important and it did not apply today. But in all the industries that I have worked in for 30, 35 years, until I rediscovered or had the opportunity to practise my culture, is that I did see a lot of wasted energy I've seen a lot of raw material come into a processing place, which then be turned out to consumer goods. And over my lifetime, I've seen a lot of those consumer goods that just get disposed of without anybody thinking of what happens to it. That's human nature. That's what drives our economy. The more you buy, the more money there is for everybody else, we're going to be richer. And maybe in some ways we have become financially richer. But we've become ecologically poor. And as I said in my welcome, when the environment is harmed, the the ecology is harmed, it is Aboriginal people who realise that they're getting sick. But I don't think that the average population realises that they are sick, but they have not got a doctor that's diagnosed it. I think it was more important than ever during COVID that as we went into lockdown and in a 10k limit and a 5k limit, that we actually started to realise what we have surrounding us when we couldn't go any further, that we started, instead of jumping in our cars on the weekend and driving up to the snowfields or going to the beach or out into the forest, that we started to look when we were allowed to go outside, what is within our 5k radius? And all the people that I've spoken to have said, I did not know that that little park was there. 
the birds, the playgrounds, the streams that run through them. But as we spent time near ourselves, thinking that what happens outside of our little homes or when we put stuff in the rubbish, or we pull the plug out of the sink, that it just goes somewhere else. I know that a lot of people are starting to realise that around them, that their country is not healthy and they don't have to be Aboriginal to do that. And so the theme here today being material flows is something that I know that by studying my ancestors, what records there are, but talking to our elders today, that we had these control measures. But what, what, if you think about it in a modern context, that what we're doing is taking energy. Most people don't think of it as a rock as being energy, but it takes energy to process that rock to eventually turn it into concrete to make bricks, to make the built form. And it takes energy to maintain that built form. And then we waste that energy when it reaches the end of its life. It is not something that our people did, and I don't do now. I hang on to things way longer than anybody else does until they absolutely can't be fixed. And luckily in all the industries that I've been in, I can fix just about anything. It took me a long time to even have a phone because I found it not necessary to communicate. If people leave me alone, I'll go and live my little way and I won't have an impact on, on the way that I want to live, the way my ancestors did. But I found that becomes a pretty lonely life very quickly and not everybody understands it. And I was standing on the edges and watching people who were continually, unknowingly in many cases, accepting things as a norm. And I thought, I need to do something about this and I need to start communicating with people and showing what they're doing wrong. I actually worked in the waste disposal industry. All the modern trucks you see out there today that pick up our rubbish bins, I was a part of the design team, the engineers that put that together. I understand how much waste was going out there. The recycling system that we have, which we all think we're doing the right thing, no one actually is where our waste goes after it's collected. I've been watching and observing for many, many years. And I know there are new ways to do it. But then over the last couple of years, as new buildings are going up and we have cultural heritage management programs and I get asked to do the groundbreaking ceremonies and making sure they're not disturbing my ancestors' remains and the evidence of their occupation, that I became more and more interested in the design of the built form. And I started to question a lot of those design elements. And I asked myself, do people think about the energy in, in the construction of a building, the energy required to maintain a building, and then the energy which is then expelled from that building, or the, the waste that it generates? And is it being managed properly? Whose responsibility is it? And I realise that there's a lot of gaps that when we build a city or a suburb or an industrial park or the infrastructure of roads and shipping ways, trains and boats, 
Where does the responsibility start and end? Does it happen when you think about what you want? If you want a particular material, where's it going to come from? Can I get it locally? Can I get it from overseas? I know during COVID that we have interrupted our shipping and the things that we considered normal, building materials which are readily available are now no longer readily available. And I see builders saying, I can't get this, pro this product and that product. And some of those products I know that we used to make here in Australia out of locally sourced goods and to the highest standards. And I think it's a shame that we balance all the energy that's required to get materials into this country to build what we need, understanding that we'll need more of it why we're not promoting more in-house. I worked in the oil and gas industry. I worked in the timber industry back in the days when everybody thought there was a, that it was an infinite resource. And I started to see it back then in my early 20s that we were wasting so much of our products. As an elder, I've been asked to sit on various advisory committees and one of those is the Birrarung Council, which is an independent advisory body which advises the Minister for Water on the state of our beautiful Yarra River out here because they want to make it an icon of Melbourne as one of the greatest living cities in the world with the, one of the greatest iconic rivers. I really started to think about energy into buildings and energy out. The last time I presented here was for a design studio and I asked the young design students that as they're thinking about the new buildings and the reimagining of the Yarra and Melbourne and its surrounds, think about the quality of the energy that's coming in, whether that be water, whether it be a gas, a liquid or a solid, where did it come from? Not about how much it cost, financially, but what it cost ecologically. Was it environmentally sustained? And when that building comes into operation and it uses up energy and produces waste, where is that waste going and who is responsible for it? Because quite often we don't think about where our sewage goes, where our wastewater goes, where our grey water goes. Once we put the rubbish in the bin, that's the end of it. And I started to think, if we're going to be building these bigger structures and we've got to put up this population and we're going to be producing waste, we've got all material coming in and material going out, and yes, we can recycle it, but to what standard of recycling have we actually reached? In my work on the Yarra, which is all about the water, I know that the water that we recycle that goes out to our treatment farms, both grey water and septic water, only gets recycled to a class two quality. Why aren't we recycling it to a class one? And I've been told it's too expensive. The only way they can do that is to raise the prices of what we pay for our fresh water coming in. So I started to think that what responsibility does a building have? And is there a way in our design systems that each building can be measured in the waste that it will produce and can that be processed on site? So not to the design student, to the architect, to the builder, 
that takes on that responsibility, but passes on a legacy that you have designed a building to the best possible standards with all the knowledge that we have today, the best scientific knowledge, and thinking of some of the philosophical principles of Aboriginal people who never used more than what they actually needed. Material things meant nothing to us. Having more and more material things was not an advantage. It's not about the money, it's about your responsibility to what you're going to leave behind. I see quite often in developments where the developer themselves does the right thing, but at some stage they have to hand over responsibility to the local government or to the buyer, whoever that may be. And there's not always the transfer of knowledge of why this building is built in such a way and where is the maintenance program and what happens if something breaks down. So you can design a building that can capture heat, keep the cold out. You can have the best systems in place that you're going to get all the ingredients you want in, including people. But when it goes out, you're usually putting it into an ageing infrastructure. Does anybody really think, can it handle that volume of waste that these new buildings produce, our new roads? And I can tell you that in my work with various other government agencies, it can't. Melbourne is built on a very, very ageing infrastructure system, and the more load that we put on it, I don't think it's been considered carefully enough that there will be an increase in those material flows that come out of these new buildings. The more people, there will be more, an increase in material flows. And we're not looking at how we're going to upgrade the systems to cope for it. And we shouldn't be upgrading. We should be reinventing the old systems and we should be replacing them. And everybody says it's too expensive and we need that house, we need that building, we need it right now. And we'll worry about when the system breaks down on the waste that we put outside of that building. We'll worry about it later on. And every time that there is a flood, and every time that there's a fire, we find that these systems break down. The building itself could work quite fine without those extra stresses that were happening from climate change, from old infrastructure. So I believe it's the responsibility of all people who are actually um, designing a building, and I know you do very good work, and I'm very impressed with some of the ideas that come out, and you know that your building is going to function. But I've not yet seen anyone present to me what happens to the waste. That's left off to somebody else. You've made your money, you've walked away, and it's not your problem anymore. I like to think about a circular ecology, that whatever you take out, which eventually does come back down to the earth, or stays up here in the sky and is now bringing us our climate change, we are the contributors to that. Think about the energy in, energy out. Integrated energy systems. If you are putting energy out, can you harvest some of that energy, even though that it's waste? Instead of just disposing of it, can you harvest that energy on site and feed that back into your building to make it as self-reliant as possible? I don't know. I'm not a design person. But I just see the breakdown in buildings 
But if they're not managed for the whole life of their building, of, of the structure, that it does over time begin to break down. And it seems like they're only minor problems, but they build up and eventually you do have to pull that building down because it no longer functions. What's the answer to that? I'm not sure. I know that the speakers that are going to be following me have come up with some really, really innovative ideas. They're not cheap. But they really get people thinking. Everyone keeps telling me that it's too expensive to make something that has all the backups, that every time something goes wrong, that it can stand alone and function by itself. It's way too expensive. I spent the last week or so going back through my emails. I got sent something uh, about a shopping mall that was built here in Victoria. Some of my other work that I've done, I've been asked to sit on what's known as the Forest Sustainability Council. Because I'd done a few welcomes for them and I hung around one of the meetings and I found out what they did. And I thought, these people have got it right. Making sure that we're not abusing, if we're doing the cheapest thing we can here, that we're not having an impact on someone else's country, on someone else's culture. They had the opportunity to be engaged with a developer and an architect. And now I could not find which shopping mall that it was, but it's only been recently built. And they set a parameter of not just obeying the legislation and doing the minimum required and a few things that went above the minimum standard. They set the rules that every piece of material that comes into to the making of this building must have FSC certification. And so the average person, they'll be thinking, well, how many trees were cut down to go into this system? But they went one step further. Not only was it the trees, but it was where the mines were, where the steel came from. It was where the screws were manufactured. In what country did they come from? It was the quality of the paint and the materials, the raw materials that were needed to make this building. The plaster, the paint, the glass, the steel, the timber, the plastics, all those elements which we're all used to seeing when we walk into these large shopping malls. But they got right down to the nitty-gritty where the individual contractor that came in to do his last little bit. Where did the copper come from for the electricians that they were using? Right down to the little tubes of silicon that the painter might put around uh, in the wet areas, around the baths. And every piece of material was inspected before it came onto site. And if it did not have that forest certification, it had to be disposed of. Sorry, not disposed of. It was not allowed to be used on that site. And they had a whole system of bins outside the construction zone that they were not even allowed to carry it in their bag, even if they said they weren't going to use it. If it didn't have an FSC certification, it couldn't be used. And I thought, this is someone who's taken that big leap forward to say, if it, someone needs to set the example of how you can build a building that does protect not only the ecology of Australia, but in fact everything that came from all around the world is done in the most sustainable way possible. 
Now, I'm not saying that's the answer to the climate change that we're going to have, but I thought this is forward thinking and why can't we all build buildings like that? And the thing is, they keep saying it's not economically viable. But if we keep living in this economic world, which economy must climb, 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 it cannot go back down, we will start to forget what this earth has provided us. It is round, and all the ecosystems that are in it are not built in square boxes. They actually exist with jagged edges, but the philosophy of Aboriginal people does not work on a circular economy or a straight-line economy. It works on circular ecology. For too long, we've been balancing the economy against the ecology and thinking that the ecology is someone else's problem. But it is not. It is every individual's problem. And until we can start thinking about re not reinventing but supporting the circular ecology of the earth, the circular ecology of the life cycle of a possum, of a magpie, of a kangaroo, of a eucalyptus tree, and the way that they all work in harmony with each other, we will continue to degrade this planet while improving human life in the short term, and everything is convenient. But what will we leave behind for our great-great-grandchildren? who will actually carry, the, will have to live with the legacy that we leave behind. I'm not here to change the world or to tell you that you're doing the wrong thing. It's just that when you're out there doing your job in your special field and you finally submit your project, just take some time to step back and say, have I done everything possible to make sure that I am doing the best? Not for the firm that I'm working for, not for the government agency, not for the economy, but have I done the best for the ecology of this world? I'm going to leave it there because you're going to hear from other speakers who have done the amazing things. And we should remember that when we have these projects, these dynamic projects that are out-of-the-box thinking, instead of saying, oh, that's too costly, we should be celebrating the success. Learn from our failures, but don't continue to keep going business as usual. Challenge the concepts, and you'll find that when you can do them and leave those prime examples, you're doing exactly what our ancestors did. Our culture's out there, it's been there for 60,000 years and we're still finding the evidence of it. That's how sustainable it actually was. But buildings that were built two or 300 years ago, unless you have it written down somewhere, it's very hard to find the evidence of them. Our system is out there because the ecology supported it and therefore preserves it. So just in your way of thinking, are you balancing your economics against your ecological benefits? Thank you very much.
You're listening to Living Cities Forum podcast. This podcast comes as part of our 2022 forum, where we discuss material flows, a theme that examines the global material flows that underwrite our growing built environments. For more, visit livingcitiesforum.org or subscribe to the Amphibian podcast. Mm-hmm.